greet you this morning in the precious name of Jesus. Alice, you were sitting very comfortably by your partner back there. What prompted you to come up here? I was asked by a brother to come here. Okay. Would you step to the pulpit here and read uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19? And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Thank you. I see you as a faithful follower of the Lord. And even though I'm not the Lord, I appreciate you following me up here for my illustration this morning. You may take your seat. You know, this account in Matthew has always challenged me. You know, there's... You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. I'd like to just process that concept a little bit. I was taking a risk in Alice, wasn't I? I didn't know if he'd come along or not. Uh, it would have blown my illustration off. But you know, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, how many times have I disappointed the Lord when he says, follow me, and I hesitate and wait and daddle around and other things. And... Uh, you know, there, the process of following, uh, first of all, there was hearing. Now, I knew, Alice, I knew Alice sometimes had a little trouble with hearing, so I wasn't sure if he'd hear me right. Maybe he'd head out the door. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't have wanted that. But, uh, you know, then there's the hearing. you got to process what you heard. And it didn't take him long. He was right behind me, I think. And uh, so then there's the response. It took some volition in his own to, to trust me and uh, know that uh, I had something meaningful and, purp- and, and purposeful in mind. I wasn't uh, intending to embarrass him or make uh, a show of him in any way, but uh, he, he's a good illustration. I, I see him as a good follower, and uh, Lord bless you for that. And, uh, you know, as I thought about the blessing, you think of the blessing we all can be when we respond the way that God wants us to do. Respond. In obedience, in service, uh, in preaching, in teaching, in, in living. We become a blessing and a channel that God can use. So as I thought about that very, very simple, you know, in some ways it's simple. You know, we tell our children, follow me. And, uh, you know, we expect them to follow. God as our Heavenly Father comes to, as he was beginning his earthly ministry here, and I'll read these verses here, Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through verse 25. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their ship and their father and followed him. And uh, I'll uh, stop reading there. I was going to read through verse 25. but uh, uh, So as I, I looked at that concept, and actually I, I found it somewhat interesting that uh, David mentioned the uh, lamentation that was writ- written, in a, or written, written in a acrostic. And that's the outline of my meditation here this morning. It's actually in the form of an acrostic.
So there's my, my outline for this morning. So I thought about the aspect of following, and uh, I thought about the uh, aspect of fear. You know, we is fear that which keeps us from being what we ought to be many times. Fear is what keeps us from experiencing what God uh, wants us to experience. And uh, someone, I have not checked this out, I have not... Uh, counted this in my own, but someone has said there's 365 fear knots in the Bible. So I don't know if that's an actual count or not. It may depend on the translation, perhaps. I did pull Strong's off the shelf and started counting, and I I saw it was going to be a long process, so I, I didn't. But if that indeed is the case, if that indeed is the case, that there's 365 fear knots in the Bible, I think that's very, very uh, unique, very wonderful, because how many days do we have in a year? We have 365 days in a year. So whether someone's playing on words or if there's a specific translation that has that, I'm not, sh- I'm not certain. But to realize that we have a fear not for every day of the year as we walk with the Lord, as we follow the Lord, is, is a promise that you and I can trust in. Uh, I, uh, I thought of the account of, uh, of Peter. And uh, if we uh, remember the account where... Uh, Peter, Jesus, as he was passing by, as the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and uh, as they were passing by, um, the disciples were fearful. And uh, then Peter spoke to Jesus. He said, if it's you, bid me come to you. And then Jesus' response was, he said, come. He didn't say follow me, but he said come. So it's basically the same. And uh, I had to wonder, you know, Peter is that spontaneous spokes. He never lacked for words. <laughs> you know, why did he, I'm wondering after he started getting out of the boat, I'm wondering if his thought process was in, in, in going, I know how I think sometimes, you know, why did I say that? Why did I bargain that way with the Lord? Why did I ask him to say, bid me come to you? But uh, as we know the, uh, as we know the account there, uh, as Peter kept his focus on the Lord, he was he was doing fine. But you know, as soon as he took his focus off the Lord and, and looked at his surroundings, he began to sink. And uh, Jesus' rebuke was to Peter was, O thou of little faith. And uh, that's the second word that I have used there. How many times could Jesus have told me that, O thou of little faith? Uh, the fear not takes over uh and translates us into that faith dimension that we need to follow the Lord. And then the two, I see them, two, I see the two of them going hand in hand, fearing not, and then that, that aspect of faith taking us through the process so that we can indeed follow the Lord. There is another account in the book of Luke that I wanted to uh, draw your attention to, Luke chapter 5, that I think is very impressive. It's just a familiar account, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through verse 28. It's the account where the uh, friends of the man that was sick, was they brought him to Jesus and were laying, wanted to lay him before him. And they, because of the crowd, they couldn't get to Jesus. So they went up on top, tore the roof off, and, and lowered him in. So beginning at verse 17, it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So this was a pretty uh, 
this was this was getting attention. It was doctors of the law, it was Pharisees. It wasn't just a little behind the scenes. Luke chapter five, verse seventeen, and uh, beginning reading again at verse eighteen. And behold, men brought a, in a bed a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could not find by that by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can, for, who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that we may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they and they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at their seat of custom. And he said unto him, Notice that, follow me. And he left all and rose and followed him. I like that little story there because of the faith that was expressed in in these uh, friends of this man who brought them to Jesus. Now, I Jesus, as he comes to your door knocking, as he comes to my door knocking and, and asking me and you to follow him, he already knows our response, what our response is going to be. Uh, I didn't know what Alice's response was going to be when I asked him to follow me up here. But we see here that Jesus had that uh, omniscience in relating to the multitude. It says he, he perceived their thoughts and answering, and he had just the right words to say to challenge them to, to focus on who he was. He was the Son of God. He was the kingdom of God, and he was coming to them. And their faith and focus needed to be fixed on him if they were going to indeed follow him. And then at the end, we see Jesus then calling another disciple of his to, to follow him. And he left all. And that in itself is another lesson for us to be willing to leave all. And faith, if we have, if we exercise faith to the dimension that God wants us to exercise it, I believe people will say, we have seen strange things. Strange things. People may call us strange because of our expression of faith. As I I thought about faith, I thought, what portion of our and my relationship with God involves faith? You know, we we, we come every Sunday morning, we come Wednesday evening, and and we assume this building is going to be here unlocked, and we come in and we worship and we share. In faith, we do that. And, And we, in faith, believe that you'll be here to share in that experience in one way or another. Uh, but what portion of my relationship with God involves faith? Is it 10%? Is it 20%? Is it 100%? You know, I, I don't know how you measure faith exactly, but I, I believe it needs to be, uh, I, I believe faith is something that, that we grow in, I believe. And I, it needs to be, we need to be, our goal should be 100%. 100% is what we need to achieve for in, in our relationship with God. Um, I guess some questions I ask myself: Is it daily? Do I do I do I experience a dimension of faith in a daily way with God? 
Uh, is it increasing? Or is it on the decreasing side? Does it seem real? Is my faith with God? Is it something that is a part of me just as, uh, as real as this pulpit is or as real as anything else tangible in life? Um, you know, we could turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and read about the expressions of faith that people expressed and, and all the way through the Bible for that matter. And that's just kind of a, a small snapshot there in Hebrews chapter 11. But you know, we're, we're our lives are, are snapshots of our faith with God. And, and what is that snapshot revealing? Is this a challenge I want to uh, think about as we think about our first point of the dimension of fearing not and the faith. And those two things go together. Now, uh, fear does have a good side of it. It's the fact that we, the expression of reverential fear, and uh, I think we read it here in our account there in uh, uh, the account where they left him down through the roof. You know, there was, there was an expression of fear that, you know, this is something different, and uh, this is something that needs to be respected. This is not just an ordinary person. This is the Son of God. Looking at the second point, um, only one master can we truly follow. And uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mound, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You know, again, uh, why does this not work? <laughs> why does why does this not work? Why God is telling us here in, in a very concise way that it's not going to happen. We need to give God wants our devotion. God wants our uh, commitment 100%. Matter of fact, the reason God tells us this in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, in the Sermon on the Mount, the reason he tells us this is because anything less than that, we're going to be cheating ourselves, really. And God wants the best for us. If we give God anything less than 100%, we're the ones that are, are doing the suffering. We will be cheating ourselves. We like it, at least I do, when people give us 100% commitment, attention. And, uh, you know, I, I thought of Brother Allen. Cedar Crest Construction, you know, replacing the my barn roof. Uh, you know, I, I feel like he gave 100% commitment. He didn't tear half the roof off and, and say, well, you know, this is a bigger job than I, I realized and, and left it open and, and took off for the weekend or whatever. He, he stuck at it. And he actually uh, had some team help, and uh, it went way faster than I anticipated, way faster. I was actually, I never told Al, but I was actually dreading this. Because I, I know cows are boring animals, and they don't like to be disturbed. And I was thinking all this noise up on top of them. And there was one time, one, one afternoon, I think he did it in two or two and a part days, and one afternoon, they were right up over the holding area. We were ready to start milking. It was really noisy, and I thought, boy, this is going to be a long milking. Uh, but, you know, it was, they were there just a short time, and after that, they were gone and uh, moved to another location. So, uh, But he, I feel like Alan gave us 100% commitment and uh, followed through in his uh, his. Uh, responsibility in making my roof good as new, better than new. I thought of the, uh, you know, the doctors at Gunnarsson and Mayo. You know, they give themselves 100%, at least from my observation. You know, it seems like they, they're, they're on top of things. They're dotting every I. They cross every T. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're dealing with people's lives. And, uh, my observation is that I think they're, they're giving their 100%. Now that's, that's in a, in a, in a uh, 
temporal illustration, but what about in a spiritual illustration? Do I give God 100% of my spiritual being commitment to Him? Again, if we do anything less than that, we're actually cheating ourselves. God wants us to uh, be like Enoch. Walk with Him. Talk with Him. And when we're gone, you know, it's, it's, it's just like a, a translation. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's a challenge to me to realize that God expects us. He's the only master that's, that's worthy of following. The third letter is that of uh, the L and that of, of light. John 8, verse 12. I think this was one of my daily verses this week. <clears throat> John 8, verse 12. And I, I thought it uh, fit in so well. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Light. You know, light is a wonderful thing, at least I think so. Um, and actually, just as I was meditating on this point, my wife walked into my office by my desk chair, and she had a flashlight in hand. She said, does this thing work? <laughs> and I had uh, I had grabbed it out of the counter, uh, the cabinet there, and I don't remember what happened. I knew it had worked, but it did not work. So I had pulled it apart. It was one of these uh, smaller flashlights, and it had four triple A's in it, I think, and a little battery, or was it three? I don't remember. It had a little central ba battery pack. And I replaced the batteries, popped it back in, and it still didn't work. So I left it laying there on the counter. True to my wife's nature said, well, if this thing don't work, it's gone. And I, I liked the flashlight. I, I hated to give it up, but I just hadn't got back to, to really check it out yet. So I took it apart again right there as I'm talking about light here. Took it apart again and uh, popped the batteries back in. Well, I saw right away that there was one that maybe was not quite making connection on the negative end where the little spring is there. So I popped it back in and screwed it together. And you know what? Presto. There was light. It shone. And it's back in the cabinet again for the next lights out situation <laughs> but uh, you know that again that's a temporal illustration and uh, you know light light makes it easier to follow the Lord's will I guess I'd like to ask you this morning are your batteries incorrectly is there something uh, interfering with that charge that you're not seeing the light as clear as you should. Matthew chapter 5, again in verse 16, Jesus says, We are to let our light shine so that others may see us and glorify God. How bright is my light shining this morning? We, are, we, are, we do not generate that light in our own strength. We only reflect that light. But again, we can only reflect the light of Christ uh, to the dimension of, of how close we are to him. And if there's a break in that relationship, we will not very effectively reflect that light as we ought to. You know, I thought I had something wrong. I'm saying learning up there, and that should be light. Anybody catch that? You're all polite enough to sit there and just smile. 
The next L is that of listen. And I want to take you to John. If you're still there in John, just page back to John 10, verses 1 through 5. Again, these are so familiar passages of Scripture, but they give us they give us truths that will help us to follow God. John 10, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the strangers. That of listening, do you know the voice of God this morning? Do you know the voice of the good shepherd? There is only one good shepherd, and that good shepherd, according to the scripture here, tells us that he gave his life for you this morning, you personally this morning, and for all mankind. He goes before us. I thought of the David's expression of that good shepherd in Psalm 23. And as familiar as it is, I'm going to just uh, take my t- take the time and read through that. The Lord is my shepherd. Again, the personalness of that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, notice that, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, the idea of not wanting green pastures, still waters, having your soul restored, and again, that no fear dimension. Uh, table prepared, cup running over, dwelling where? In the presence of God this morning. Is that your experience? From the White House to the Amish, written by Katrina Hoover. How many of you read that book? Quite a few of you. You know... Uh, Thomas E. Kirkman, his life story. This again dates me, but the thing I enjoy so much about that account is it's it's almost parallels, uh, somewhat parallels my timeline, timeline, my life. A lot of the things he talked about are things I remember happening. He was a little would have preluded me just a few years, probably ten years, something like that, maybe. But I'm not exactly sure on that. But even a lot of the things that happened, you know, the the death of Kennedy and uh, the Vietnam War and uh, the Cold Cold War uh, with Russia. He actually worked for the CIA. And uh, but one of the things that that in that in that account that challenged me was the voice of God that came to him in his sixty-something Chevy station wagon. Now here I'm going back, and you know, station wagons that dates me. That was that, that's my early childhood days too. Fifty-six Buick station wagon. Uh, you know, they were they were before the minivan, but uh, you know, he he heard the voice of God speaking to him. He became bitter over the loss of his mom. He was raised in a Baptist home, and over time had had drifted away from the Lord and his relationship with the Lord. Some of his siblings seemed to have turned the other way. But, uh, you know, the he became bitter over the, the loss of his mother. 
and uh, held God accountable for that. And I, I listened, as you know, as I read and, and hear that account of that story, it, it just challenged me to, uh, you know, how God does speak to us in a way and a time that, and he couldn't shake. I'm not sure what the time span was from the time that God had spoken to him to who he actually, it was a number of years, I think, till he actually uh, uh, responded to that call. But uh, God does call to us. God does speak to us even yet today. And uh, God does that in his goodness. We talked about the goodness of God this morning in the Sunday school lesson. I, ha- I had to think about that. You know, God in his goodness does still talk to us and communicate to us and call us. Um, you know, what, what has marred that? When God created everything in Genesis, he pronounced it good. And we were, we were talking there in Lamentations about how good God is and the good things that he has in store. If we respond that way. If we respond the way that we ought to. But you know, sin is what marred that goodness. And sin today is still what mars that goodness. Even in our Sunday school lesson, it was sin that, that took away that goodness. But did that change God? No, it didn't change God. God is still good. And uh, we can rejoice in that this morning. We need to be listening for the voice of God as we follow Him. The uh, fifth letter there, that of opportunity like to read some verses out of second second corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 through 10 this is paul i believe speaking here we then as workers together with him verse 1 beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of god in vain for he saith i have heard thee in a time accepted in a day of salvation have i succored thee behold now is the accepted time behold now is the day of salvation giving no offense in anything that the ministry that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. I believe this has to do with Paul's concern for others following after him. And that's a, uh, that's a challenge for you to think about this morning. As I follow Christ... How easy am I making it for others to follow Christ? You know, others will follow us. We're not an island in ourselves. And I think that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about, you know, it seems like he's talking in, in conflict here. But in reality, he's saying, as I follow Christ, he one, one place more specifically said, it, then you follow Christ too. You know, don't simply follow me, but follow Christ. And it may not be a very glorious walk necessarily, but, you know, the fact that God is with us, and that brings me to the to the last point of my acrostic there, the, to realize that when we have Jesus with us, those things that Paul mentioned really are secondary. They're, they're counted as nothing, really. Uh, you know, what a comfort to realize that, uh, that we are walking with Jesus, we're following him, there's safety, there's security, and uh, as we do that, we become a witness for him. And I thought of the uh, verses in uh, Matthew chapter 28, the last uh, three verses of that chapter. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you 
with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. There we have the promise that God says, if you follow me, you walk with me, you be my witness, I will be with you. And we can lay claim to that promise this morning. I want to close with this question. Who are you following? And uh, are you listening for the voice of God as he calls you to follow him? God bless you.